Well, our second scripture reading today, it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, and we are uh, kind of between chapters now. We're, we're going to start in chapter 26 and finish in chapter 27. We're going to look at Matthew 26, verses 69 through 27, verse 10. And you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1546. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again and with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. For your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel. And they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find forgiveness from their Lord Jesus Christ. While he was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp, a young Simon Wiesenthal was taken off his work detail just for a short moment, and brought to a hospital wing. And there before him was a dying Nazi soldier. Now this soldier, who probably only had hours to live, was faced with the realities of all the crimes that he had committed, the atrocities that he was a part of. I'm sure the faces of many, many Jews were haunting this man. But now there was one more face before him, the face of this young Jewish boy named Simon, this boy who was standing before him. And so in an attempt to find absolution, to find forgiveness for his crimes, this soldier asked Simon, will you forgive me? Simon was stunned. What should he do? What, what could he do? 
Should he give to this man the compassion and grace that was absent in his life? Or should he give in to his anger and the cold justice that this man truly deserved? Should he forgive this soldier or not? As if frozen in time, Simon did neither. Instead, he just stood there, remaining silent. He said nothing. We are now in our fifth week of this sermon series entitled Necessary. And we have been covering the things that are essential for God's redemptive plan of salvation. Things that that are required in order for God to rescue, rescue man from their sins. And if you remember, the first thing we saw was that it was necessary for it to be God's will to carry out this redemptive plan in the first place. He must be the one who, who desires our salvation. For if it were up to us, we would neither want it nor choose it. And then it was at the Lord's Supper that we saw the necessity for Jesus to establish a new covenant in his blood. And the reason that it was necessary was because the old covenant was insufficient. It could not rescue us from our sins. And then it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where we witnessed the Lord pray to his Father these words. Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus had submitted himself to his Father's will, even though that will meant that he would have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And yet it was necessary for us to have a submissive Savior in order for God's redemptive plan to be carried out. And then last week we we looked at the trial of Jesus where our Lord stood silently before the Jewish high council as false accusations were brought before him, one false witness after another false witness. And yet none of these witnesses could draw the charge that the high priest was looking for. No, it was only after the confession of our Lord, his confession that where he said, I am the Christ, the Son of God, that the high priest tore his robes and cried blasphemy. It was after that confession that they then condemned Jesus to death. You see, it was necessary for us to have a condemned Savior in order that we, as God's children, can be declared innocent. Which leads us to today. And the fifth necessity for God's redemptive plan the necessity of a forgiving Savior. Now, throughout this series, our our focus has been upon Jesus and what he has done for us, as it rightly should be. But what is interesting is, is about our passages for today is that Matthew now directs our eyes on the lives of two men, both of whom who were disciples of Jesus both of whom who had spent three years learning from their master, both of whom who had front row seats to to every teaching, to every miracle, to every, every healing that Jesus did. These men knew Jesus intimately. And so there could be no questions in their minds as to who this man was. 
that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet what we see from, from both of these men is a form of betrayal. A betrayal of their master. One of the great attributes of the Bible, one of the marks of its authenticity, is that it is unashamedly honest when it comes to the shortcomings of God's people. You see this in spades in the Old Testament. From the failings of Noah, Noah and Abraham to the sins of Isaac and Jacob. From the weaknesses of Moses and, and Gideon to the iniquities of men like Samson and even David. We see these heroes of the faith shown in, a light, in light of their ugliest moments. And the New Testament is no different. For what we are seeing today are the lowlights of both Peter and Judas, disciples of Jesus. Now the fact that these two stories are back to back, it is meant to get us as the reader to, 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 to think. To think and compare the outcomes of these two men. To get us to ponder and, and wonder why, why the one turned out one way and, and the other turned out totally different. But before we get into Peter's story, let's, let's remind ourselves of the words that Christ had for this disciple. Look, look back once again at Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows, you Yes, you, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. This ominous warning that Jesus gave came only hours before our story that we read today. And yet Peter, he was so certain that, that, that Jesus was wrong. And to some extent, you know, Peter did show a, a form of courage. I mean, after all, it was in, in the garden that, that he had raised his sword ready to go to battle side by side with his Lord. And after Jesus had been arrested, when, when all the other disciples scattered, Peter was brave enough to follow his Lord at a distance into the courtyard of Caiaphas. And this, this act of following Jesus, it truly was a, a risk that Peter made. For if the chief priests had, had discovered that he was one of Jesus' disciples, he could have been marching that same road as our Lord, but carrying his own cross. And so we do see a, a commendable courage on Peter's part. But that courage would only go so far. As Peter would would find out who he truly was. For he would soon be questioned. But let's look at the first one, first, first instant. Look at, look at verses 69 and 70. Now Peter 
was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Here we see the the first challenge coming from a slave girl. Think about that. Think about who this is that is questioning Peter. In terms of societal status, she is the lowest of the low. She's a slave girl. And yet she knew enough about this Jesus to somehow recognize that, that Peter was one of his disciples. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. And that's just it. There, were, there, there was something Galilean about Peter. Something that he couldn't hide. Perhaps it was the way that he dressed or how, maybe how he trimmed his beard. There was just something about him that, that oozed Galilee. And what would a Galilean be doing in the courtyard of the high priest in the middle of that night unless he truly was one of Jesus' disciples? And so we see Peter's first denial. I, I don't know what you're talking about. How many of you have ever done something wrong and, and yet when you were challenged about it, you just kind of acted like you had no clue what they were talking about? You ever been there? Yeah. Did you go to that party last night? What party? Did you really fail your, your math test? Fail? Which math test are you talking about? And we've all been there, right? This, this was Peter. He, just this kind of nonchalant attitude as if the very idea that, that he had been with Jesus was, was just crazy. And yet Peter knew that he was in danger. And so he tried to remove himself from the situation. Look at, look, look at verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Peter's trying to create distance now. He moved out to the, to the gateway, away from that slave girl who accused him the first time. Peter thought that, that he, he might be able to escape all the accusations the further out he went. And yet here again, we, we see that there is something about him that just stands out. For now, a different girl makes a similar claim. This fellow was with, was with Jesus of Nazareth. Being accused for a second time, Peter now begins to feel the pressure that is all around him. But instead of just kind of brushing it aside this time as he did before, he, he becomes more animated, more, more adamant in his reaction. He, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. Now this oath that Peter made would have been some type of appeal to something sacred. Dem demonstrating the, the truth, the validity of his words. Per perhaps he swore by the temple or by the altar at the temple. 
Whatever the case, he was resolute with what he said. I don't know the man. This strong denial was Peter's way of distancing himself from his Lord. Yet this oath did not convince everyone. Look at, look at verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. When I was living in Thailand, I had the opportunity to meet many, many different missionaries from a variety of places. Um, and though a good number of them looked the same as me, dressed the same as me, as soon as they spoke, I, I could immediately tell where they were from. I, I met folks from the South. I, I met folks from the UK, from Australia. And, and from the word hello, their, their origin became obvious. I'm sure you've been come across people from different parts. They speak English, but it's not the same English that you speak, right? Apparently, this was the case with Peter as well. He, he had this Galilean accent that was just too strong. Your accent gives you away. You see, Peter, he, he, he could not hide who he was. And, and it became obvious to everyone around that this man had been with Jesus. For there was just no other reason for a Galilean to be among them in the middle of that night. And yet, instead of admitting the obvious, instead of admitting who he truly was, he, he just doubled down on the oath that he had made earlier. Look, look at his response. Look at verse 74. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Listen, as, as God is my witness, I don't know Jesus. If I'm lying, may he strike me down right here and right now. Words like these can only come from a man who has been backed into a corner. And, and that's where Peter was. He, he was a, a man who was unwilling to identify with Jesus. And the reason he was unwilling was because he did not want to be where Jesus was. How easy is it for us to deny our master when faced with the forces of this world? And yet the, the pressures that we face, they, they take on a different form than, than what Peter went through. You, you see, in the West, we, we have developed this kind of cultural mindset that, that there's a Christianity that's acceptable, and then there's a Christianity that is unacceptable. You're not one of those Christians, are you? You know, the, the, the kind that believe in the Bible, the kind that believe that God will judge people according to their sins, the kind that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and all other religions are false. You're not one of those Christians, are you? 
the, the pressure that we face today is not so much to deny being a Christian, but to concede our Christian convictions. Convictions that any true believer in Jesus should have. You're not the type of Christian that would believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, are you? You're, you're not the type of Christian that would believe that a boy is a boy and a, and a girl is a girl, are you? You see, when we deny these things, things that Jesus firmly held, then in essence we are denying Christ. We may claim to be Christians, yet, yet we have rejected our Lord because we, we don't want to be where he is. Condemned by a world that doesn't want him. And this is exactly where Peter was. He had now denied his Savior three times because he didn't want to be where Jesus was. And so he created this separation between himself and that condemned man. And yet he was about to be reminded of that condemned man's words. Look at the end of verse 74. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is a painful, painful scene to witness. I, I can only imagine the immense weight of Jesus' words that, 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 that would have been upon Peter's shoulders at that moment. The judgment of our Lord had come through the crowing of a rooster. And Peter now realized how, how weak he truly was as the guilt of that moment tore into him. Bitter tears streamed down his face as he realized that he had left the one he loved. He had left his king alone and condemned. Peter was filled with grief and remorse. But what would that moment of heartache lead to? What would be the fate of this disciple who had denied his master? Peter wouldn't be the only one that night who felt remorse. Look at the beginning of chapter 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 coins, 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas, this, this man who had betrayed Jesus, was also feeling the weight of his sins. Once he discovered that it was his actions that led to Jesus being condemned to death, he was seized with remorse. For he knew he was a cursed, cursed man. For what he had done 
He had taken money in betrayal of innocent blood. Look, look at Deuteronomy 27, verse 25. Cursed is a man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. According to God's word, he was guilty. And so in an attempt to, to ease his suffering, to ease his pain, he, he tried to return turn this, this money that was stained with blood. He thought that that could somehow take away his guilt, take away his curse. How often do we attempt to do the same exact thing? That, that somehow if we could just reverse our actions, then our sins would just go away. Perhaps you were caught in a lie and you think that if you could just take back your words, then all would be right. Maybe you stole some money and, and you think, well, if I just give it back, then, then all will be made well. But we all know that that's not how it works. For, for once you tell that lie, once you steal that money, then, then a trust has been broken and the guilt remains. And even with those sins that only you know about, you think, oh, if I could just take it back. Even if you could take it back, there is one who knows that is not you. One who sees. You see, what, what Judas was looking for was absolution. He was looking for forgiveness. He, he, he wanted to be released from the, the guilt that he felt. And he was looking to the world to find that release. He wanted to give back the money in order to wash his hands from, from the filth that was all over it. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. The, the path of Judas was the same path as that Nazi soldier who was looking to confess to a Jew. He, he too had betrayed innocent blood. And he was looking to this young boy, thinking that, that that boy could somehow take away his guilt. But that's not how it works. That's not how you find true forgiveness. Look, look at the response that the world gave to Judas. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. What is that to us? These men who were just as guilty as Judas showed zero compassion. They were, they were cold. They were calloused. They had no mercy, no sympathy. And that's the type of forgiveness that the world has to offer. What is that to us? But when you think about it, I mean, what kind of solace could they, these men have given to Judas anyways? I mean, even if they wanted to, they didn't have the authority to forgive sins. 
That was not within their power. In Judas's search to have his guilt removed, he was looking to the wrong men, to the wrong man. The one he, he should have been looking to was the very one whom he had betrayed. You see, it is only through Jesus Christ that a man's sins can be forgiven. That they can be washed clean. And yet Judas couldn't face his master. And so he chose the world instead. Well, the cruel answer of these religious leaders left very little hope for Judas. Look what happened in verse 5. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. A sad end for a cursed man. Without the hope of forgiveness, Judas was left with, with the burning despair that comes from a guilty conscience. And in desperation, he felt that the only way out was to take his own life. Let me ask you, where can a person turn if they don't have Jesus? What can a person do when the guilt weighs so heavy upon them? When there is no light at the end of the tunnel? To whom can they go to find relief besides Jesus? You see, there, there really is no one else. For Jesus, he is the only one who has the authority to forgive sins. And the reason that's the case is because ultimately every sin that we commit is a sin against Him. True forgiveness can only come through Jesus Christ. And that is why it was necessary for us to have a forgiven, a forgiving Savior. Two men each one filled with remorse, each one feeling the, the heavy burden of their guilt. And yet if you know the end of the story, then you, then you know that the outcomes of these two men were vastly different. Whereas Judas ends in despair by taking his own life, we find Peter going on to do great things to advance God's kingdom. Why? I mean, think about what Peter did. It, it was Peter who in Acts chapter 2 would preach that bold message to the very ones who had crucified his king. It, it would be Peter who, when commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop preaching in Jesus' name, would stand up and declare to those men, we must obey God rather than men. And it would be Peter who, who then went to prison because he stuck to his guns as he did not stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ. So what's the difference? How, how do we get from here to there? For neither Peter's tears nor Judas's remorse could remove their guilt. But whereas Judas looked to the world and found utter hopelessness, Peter looked to Jesus. His remorse 
changed into hope as he turned to his Savior and found forgiveness at the cross. Look, look at what we read earlier in, in the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here we see the restoration of Peter. Three times Peter had denied his master, and now three times Jesus asked him, Do you love me? And I'm sure these three questions had to sting as they would have been a reminder of Peter's darkest moment. And yet what we also see in these three questions is the grace and compassion of our Lord. For not only is Peter forgiven in Christ, but he is also being called once again. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And this is what Jesus does. He is that tender-hearted Savior who not only forgives, but he also restores. You see, Jesus, he, he, he doesn't just pardon a, a man's sins to no end. No. Rather, he, he lifts them back up and restores to them a purpose. His purpose. And this is exactly what he has to offer to both you and to me. Dear friends, we, we are no different than either Judas or Peter. For we have all in one form or another betrayed our Savior. We have all felt remorse for our sins. And we are all in desperate, desperate need of forgiveness. But that forgiveness can only come through Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins in our stead. Don't let your remorse turn into hopelessness. Turn away from your sins and turn towards Jesus. For in him you will find that forgiving Savior. Let us pray. Father, we are, we are so blessed by what your Son did for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us who have turned our backs on you. We, we have denied our crucified Lord. We have built this wall of separation between us and him. And yet in your grace, 
You tear down that wall and allow us to come back to you. To come to your son in order to find the forgiveness that we so desperately, desperately need. We ask now that you would change our hearts. Change them by the working of your Holy Spirit. That you would not only forgive us, but also restore us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.